The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. And Jesus Christ is our shalom. Jesus is our peace. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth, which comes through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Oh, gracious Father, grant that your Holy Spirit pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you through the preaching of your word, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads to life eternal and holiness. In our risen Savior's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, the other day I was reading an, an, an interesting article, uh, an interesting article, uh, from the journal, the, journal, the name of the journal is The Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Yes, I actually was reading an article in that magazine. Uh, but what was fascinating, what I found very interesting in that article was back in uh, February of 20, uh, February, 20, February 24, 2020, scientists discovered the first known animal, the first known organism on earth that does not breathe. The first living organism on earth that does not breathe. This animal, uh, this, this organism is a parasite. It's called the H. salminicola parasite. And it feeds on small fish and underwater worms. As you know, a parasite a parasite's a microscopic, multi-celled organism that lives in or in and on a, a host, a host uh, species, a, a host organism. The parasite derives its nutrition at the expense of its host which you know, and it doesn't stop deriving its nutrition at the expense of the host until it kills it. If it's not stopped, if it doesn't die, it will keep going until it kills the host, which is crazy in itself. It basically is going to kill itself. DNA scientists who sequence, who do sequencing and have sequenced other parasites state that all the parasites that they have sequenced have a respiratory gene, a respiratory gene. Listen now. So what does that mean? They can breathe. Okay, that means they can breathe. This parasite does not, does not have a uh, respiratory gene. So, uh, so they summarize that it does not breathe. It's living, but it's not breathing. 
the question that comes to mind immediately is that is this deadly parasite a creation of God? Is this deadly parasite a creation of God? Or is it a flawed, a flawed mutation of another parasite? Or I'm sorry, of another organism, of another organism that has come about as a result of the chaos that came to being after the fall. After the fall. God, as we know, we had just had it read to us, God is not the author of chaos. He is not the author of confusion or disarray or, or disorder, which we would call chaos. Chaos. What is chaos? What's chaos? Well, chaos in its simplest form can be described as something that is not functioning according to how God created it to function. Something that does not function according to how God created it to function can be defined as chaos. Chaos. Can you name anything like that? Can you name, think about everything. Can you name anything like that that is not functioning the way God created it to function? Did you say, what did you say? You said what? Humans? Yeah, human, humanity. Humanity is not functioning the way God created it to function because of the fall. Therefore, it is in chaos. In chaos. Everyone and everything after the fall is in a state of chaos, of chaos, a condition of dysfunction, confusion, and disorder. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like your life? Does your life feel as though you are in chaos? It's, it's as though you're you're, you're going from one battle to the, to the next. You're just getting over something, and something else comes around. It's constant. Constant disarray, constant confusion, trying to make sense of things that are going on in your life and in this world. It seems like we're always fighting an uphill battle against something, someone, against evil all the time. There is always something or someone against you. But it's not just you. It's not just us. That's happening throughout the entire world, throughout the whole world. There is violence on our streets. Mass shootings. Murders of people going on like, like what just happened in Buffalo. There's fighting and riots in our neighborhood. For, for everyone, all of us are living a distracted life. We're living a distracted life, um, uh, living in a distracted life, living a distracted life, and living in a distracted society with a focus on where? On what? Self. With a focus on self, which has resulted in many, many movements that are going on in our society, especially in this country, but throughout the Western world, all these movements 
uh, the alphabet movement, the Me Too movement, the ca uh, cancel culture movement, they're all going on seeking self-identity. But not to mention another movement called the pro-choice movement. The pro-choice movement that is against life. It's against life. It is the choice to choose abortion, to kill, to murder babies, all in the name of a person's right to choose. Doesn't that sound like chaos? It, it, I'm, I'm, it's pro-choice. I'm pro-choice, meaning uh, I'm against life. But you are living, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm against life. Well, no, no, I'm against choice. Let's play semantics here, right? There's wars. There's a war going on in the Ukraine, which has caused other rumors of wars that will involve the entire world. There's diseases. There's viruses in our homes. And even a pandemic that just seems to linger and perhaps will never go away. What is happening? What's happening? Why is it like this? Well, it's obvious that we know this. We know the answer to this. It's happening because of the fall. In fact, it's when sin came into the world, we fell into chaos. We fell into a self, we, we fell into a primary self-centered existence. We took our focus off of God had placed it on ourself after the fall. But actually, actually, that focus on self started before the fall. When Adam and Eve were living in the garden and deceived, they took the focus off of God and placed it on themselves and chose to disobey God. They chose to disobey him rather than to obey him. And the rest is history. The rest is chaos. That's what our passage is about. Our passage is about chaos, disorder. And, and the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, is, is addressing a critical issue that's going on at the church at Corinth, which is going on in our churches today. Paul is addressing chaos, confusion, and disarray, primarily in the church, but specifically Get it, get this now, specifically during a worship service. During, like this way, like what's going on right now. During a worship service, Paul is attacking it. Paul does not pull any punches, guys. We've read Paul before. We know how straightforward he can be. When you're talking about his God, his Lord, who he is the servant of, and we're talking about worshiping his God, our God, in holy, in a holy worship service. He's coming right at us. And he's going to be straightforward with us. And he is in this passage. He takes this very serious. As we look, as we look at our passage. Uh, we see in verse 33 that God is not the God of confusion. God is not a God of confusion. Our Lord is not the God of chaos. 
He's the God of what? He's the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second, what Paul just said. But before we get to that question, I want to, I want to, I want to give us, an, Paul has given us an insight. Paul has given us an insight into what peace and order looks like. The best picture of what peace and order looks like. The best place where God's peace and order can be found is during holy worship. Is, is during a true Christian worship service. That is where we get the best picture of what peace and what order God's peace and God's order looks like. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And why is that? Well, it is because our focus has to be on Christ, our peace, our shalom. Christ is our peace. Our focus must be on him. And by that, we feel peace and order. The primary concentrative focus of a Christian worship service must be on Jesus Christ. Any deviation will lead to confusion and disorder that distracts from the main objective, which is what? Worshiping Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. And he's going to get into, to, he's going to talk about women, and he's going to talk about speaking give the gifts speaking tongues and prophecies. And if anything interferes, or anyone interferes, including men, interferes with that, they're going to cause chaos during worship and, and disarray. And, and, and Paul forbids it. He forbids it. God forbids it. God forbid that we would distract from our focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it happens. And that's why he's having to address it. In Christian public worship, in a Christian public worship service, the primary focus must always be on Jesus Christ, our Lord. Anything else will cause confusion, disarray, and disorder. Nothing will make sense. You'll leave here not understanding anything. It may be just kind of feeling good because the music was good. You know, the music was good. That's about it. What did, hey, what did the pastor say last week? Oh. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, it's not as important what the pastor said as it is that you felt the glory of God and your focus was on the glory of God. So many of us come to worship because we want to come get something out of it. And you've heard it before. I've gone and I worship over there at that church and and I just didn't feel anything. Well, well, what were you trying to feel? Well, why did you go there? Well, I, I went there to, 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 to worship. Well, who were you worshiping? Oh, wait a minute. Those are fighting words. No, it is about worshiping Christ. Paul sets the standard. He tells it right there. Anything else, anything that deviates from our focus on Jesus Christ is not a worship service. It's something else. And there's a lot of pastors or so-called pastors that are doing something else. They're giving you a pep talk. In DPS, I used to get them, we used to get them all the time. We used to have people that would come in. We'd all get together, hundreds of us at a time. 
and somebody somebody would give us a pep talk. Do the right thing for the right reason. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> that sounds great. That's a pep talk. It's just out of boy, go, go back out there and go work. We'll do what you're supposed to. That's a pep talk. We get them all the time, military everywhere. That's not a worship service. Worship service is where we're coming and focusing on him. Singing, giving it all to him, laying it out to him, exposing, being vulnerable, exposing ourselves to him. Just laying it out for his glory. And anything else that we do that interferes with that is not allowed. And that's what Paul talks about. That's what he's talking about here. Even gift, the gifts that he gives us, even the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongues. If it interferes, if you take it upon yourself and you want the show to be on you, it is not a worship service. It is distracting from where it needs to be. And it needs to be on the Lord. We turn to our text. We see that our text is broken down into two parts. We can break it down into two parts. The first part is the sacredness of God. The sacredness of God. The second part is the sacredness of worship. Guys, if you don't feel the sacredness of worship, you're not coming and thinking, man, we're about to get into a taste of heaven. Because that's what you're here. And that's what you should feel. If, the, if your focus is where, is where it needs to be. So we start off by looking at the sacredness of God. Yesterday I went to, I went to have breakfast. Uh, I was, and and uh, as I was sitting there waiting for my food to be delivered, I, I, the waitress was coming. And, and as I turned and looked at her, I looked at her in sheer panic. I, when she was coming at me, go, hey, you're living a dangerous life. Your, your life is, you're living a dangerous life. And here's why I said that. Well, when she got there, she started putting my food and everything else that she had on the table. She said, she responded to what I said by saying this, by saying, la vida loca, la vida loca, the crazy life. In other words, she, she acknowledged what I said by saying, yeah, I live the crazy life. And the reason I said that and the reason she acknowledged it was she was carrying a hot bowl, steaming hot bowl of menudo in one hand and a hot cup of coffee in another in her other hand. And in between, she had all these condiments and plates and both everything else she was bringing to the table. And she's like, I go, oh, you're living a dangerous life. I wanted to run. I grabbed the menudo and put it down. It was crazy, and she acknowledged that. She acknowledged he was living this crazy life. But see, that's what happens when we live this self-centered life, when we live a self-centered life, when our focus is not on the Lord. We're living la vida loca. We're living the crazy life. Because we're self-centered, we're not. The, our focus is not where it needs to be. We're living a life of disorder. And confusion. What is interesting is that as we live this life of disorder and confusion, we try to make sense of, of it. We try to make sense of it. We try to put it in all the right categories. We read all the best magazines, the psychiatry magazines, and whatever else we read. And we get advice from la comadre, el compadre, our friends to try to figure all this out, to make us feel good, to try to, to try to put everything in order 
and it doesn't work because everything is in chaos. But we do the best we can to put it in order. And when it still doesn't work, you go, well, you try to bring God into it and you try to put him in his proper place. And if it's the true living God, he's not, he's not staying there. You're, you're misunderstanding who you're dealing with, or we, we do. When we try to gain control of our lives without Christ, we are living la vida loca, the crazy life. God is not the God of chaos or confusion. He is holy other. He is holy other. He is a God of peace. And now, as we look at our passage and we see this God of peace, the great apostle Paul uses, when we look at, the, especially the first verse, verse 33, and when Paul uses the word confusion, and then he goes on to say, no, God is the God of what? He doesn't say the opposite of confusion, you would think. What's the opposite of confusion? Disor the opposite of disorder. You would think order. He uses that later on in verse 40, but not here. He says that God is the God of peace. Peace. And he uses that word to be in line with harmony. God is the God of harmony. Peace and harmony. And we start thinking about the Prince of Peace. The Shalom himself. You remember Jesus talking to his disciples. What would he always tell them? Shalom. Shalom. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Paul uses a, 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 a word that that's really wouldn't have picked. I would have used like, okay, God's not the, the God of confusion. He's the God of order. No, he says the God of peace. Beautiful statement. Beautiful words because he's setting the pace. He's, he's, he's revealing to us what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the very character of God. We're dealing with the very character of God. Peace. Peace. Peace from what? Oh, peace from so many things, but primarily peace from him. Being at war with him. Peace and salvation that only come through Christ. Peace. Peace. And when we talk about this, when we're dealing with the very character of God, and when he says God is the God of peace, he's not talking about, during a worship service, he's not talking about, he's not talking about the opposite of being quiet. Like, be quiet. Like in a worship service, you better be quiet. That's not what he's saying. In fact, that that's, might be counter what he's saying. He, he, when God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, that's why they would prophesy. They couldn't even help but prophesy. They wanted to sing. They wanted to rejoice. They wanted to thank God. They wanted to pray. And, 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 and that's wonderful. That's why we were given these gifts. So when he says peace, he's not talking about be quiet, being quiet. He's talking about, okay, let's get, this is all going to be done in order, orderly, orderly. Even, what did he say about tongues? We spoke about this last week. 
He said, well, don't speak tongues during worship service. Why? Well, unless, unless what? Unless you had an interpreter. Because if you don't have an interpreter and you're speaking tongues, you're causing confusion. And, and that's forbidden in worship service. Don't even bring it. Don't bring it here. And tongues is a gift. Special gift. But you cannot speak it during a worship service unless you have an interpreter. Then what? Then the whole body is edified. The body of Christ. And God is glorified. So he's talking about the gifts, and he does talk about it in our passage. He's talking about prophecy. The prophecy meaning praising God, teaching, singing, whatever the Spirit inspires you to do. But it's not going to be done in chaos. It's not going to be done in disarray. It's going to be done orderly because God is the God of order. And it's not going to be done being real quiet and being soldiers. It's going to be done with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Because that's what's taking place. It all works for the edification of the body of Christ. For the glory of God. So as we continue, we, we continue to look at the sacredness of worship. The sacredness of worship. Equality. Equality is a very special word in our society, right? It's a very precious and, and revered word in our society. Equality. Everybody wants equality. I want to be treated the same as somebody else. And, and that's kind of that's kind of the way society sees it. It sees uh it sees equality as sameness. God looks at equality as everyone being uniquely different. Everyone being uniquely different. That's why he gives different gifts to different people. Everyone, everyone is, God views everyone as uniquely different. For starters, God created what? He created men and women. They're not, we're not the same. We're, we're not. We're, he created us for different functions, for different roles, for different reasons. That's how he starts in creation. He designed this to fulfill different roles in the family unit and even in our society. In addition, as we looked at the, uh, at, 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 we looked at what we've mentioned before. God has blessed his church with unique and different gifts, giftedness. And it is for the betterment of his church and for the glory of him and for worship in his church. Particularly these gifts that he has given us and the differences that he has embedded in us are for the execution of holy worship. Now, in our passage, the Apostle Paul is having to address problems that are going on at the church of Corinth and that I can imagine are going on everywhere else even today. Within the church of Corinth, the Corinthian worship assembly was being unruly, disorderly, and disruptive. It was chaos. They were, they were just basically going through chaos in, in, in their worship service. If you read about the history of what was going on back then. Uh, remember that it all started in house churches? Back then when it started, they started worshiping in house churches. They would meet in the individual's houses, different people's houses, and they would worship there. 
And, and these houses were built to, to they were designed to have 30 people, 50 people there. But then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper by just eating. And so people would get there and eat all the food and drink all the wine and be drunk. And then others would get there late and they wouldn't have any food that, so they couldn't partake in what they viewed as the Lord's Supper. And there was nothing else to drink. So, I mean, that, it was so disastrous. So when, when Paul is addressing this problem, he, he starts by, by setting the foundation, setting the tone uh, in verse 33. Then he goes on to verses 35, 34 and 35, where Paul addresses the behavior within a worship service. And he specifically addresses the behavior of women. Women. Okay, you can't change that. You can't make it the neuter. You know, you can't make it. Oh, that, you know, if you that's not translated like that. That's that. He means everybody. You know, he means men and women. No, he doesn't. He's saying women. Notice that Paul is speaking about the behavior of women. Now, get this, okay? During a worship service, during a worship assembly, during a worship service only. Paul addresses the problem culturally and biblically. Now, on the surface, we need to know who we're dealing with. We're dealing with Paul. And many people, that's why they want to call Paul big. You know, man, he's always picking on them women. You know, they're the lower class citizens. And that's not true. That's not true. Paul has talked and has a fondness and an adoration for women. Remember the, when Paul stayed in Corinth the first time when he planted the church uh, a year and a half before, or, or two years before he wrote this, this letter. He stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And he had the utmost respect for Priscilla. Priscilla and her husband Aquila, they, they took Apollos. Remember Apollos, a great orator, preacher, but he got the gospel wrong, and they took him aside, and they shared the gospel message that they had heard from Paul. They shared that with Apollos, and Apollos went on and preached. He preached the gospel. The utmost respect for women. He, he, call, he would call women deaconesses. That means teachers, servants. He also spoke about how uh, he declared how your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Meaning they're going to teach. They're going to prophesy. They can teach. That's the Paul we're talking about. That's not the, that's the Paul doesn't forget all this. He's not neglecting everything he's written about in, 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 the, in the New Testament. He's not. He, he does talk about women in leadership positions. However, Paul is addressing the order of worship, an orderly worship service. And in verses 34 and 35, he says this, just to reread it. He says that women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission. Who else is in submission? Men, everybody. But they should be in submission, as the law also says. 
if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church, that worship service. There's reasons why he's saying this. Now, let's talk about the cultural reasons. You're going to have to pick it up, but let's talk about the cultural reasons with what's going on. Okay, culturally, in Corinth, Remember, they started, the churches started in house churches, and the husband and wife were, were the, heading up these house churches. The husband was running the church, but his wife was there. And, and his wife would treat her husband in public during a worship service the same way she treated her husband in private. Now, Sandy's not here, so I can talk about it. Sandy doesn't treat me in public the way she treats me in private. You know, there, there, there is a different way of treating somebody. And we know what we're talking about. We're not going to, she's not going to yell at me. No. But it's different, okay? But what would happen at these house churches is, is that the woman, the wife, would belittle their husbands and would question them and question their authority. Now, that could go on behind the scenes in private because, and because they're asking questions about certain things, and, and, and they would talk about it. But in a worship service, it caused disrespect for what was going on. It continued through the churches, through the church, where it, it, it got so bad with women not just questioning their husband, but questioned all authority during worship. And, and, and the women in Corinth would question even those who were prophesying. Uh, bringing a message of, of, from the Bible, a message that they were inspired by, by, by the Holy Spirit. They would question them. They would challenge what they said. They would belittle them. And then they would go on and try to change what they were talking about. This, these are people who are prophesying, even, even the preacher who was preaching. They would change and challenge them and change their perspective and get them to prophesy about things they had questions about, about things in their personal life that they wanted resolved. They made the worship service about who? About themselves. They interrupted it so much that it caused a problem, and they wrote to Paul saying, this has been a problem in our church. And Paul is addressing it here. He's addressing it here. He's, he's commanding them to be submissive, to submit to their husband. And if they had any discussion or debates or whatever they may have, talk to them at home. Talk to your husband at home. Does that make sense culturally? That's a very cultural thing. It could happen back then. It could happen today. Very cultural. Very real because of, I mean, the culture is within the church. The behavior... Uh, in, in the church was was it was so bad that they, people were complaining about it. They were complaining to Paul, and Paul was addressing it. Okay, so so now he goes from there, and then he gets into scripture. Then he brings it to Genesis. Then he brings it to basically Adam and Eve to creation. Paul. Again, does not mess around with worship service. So he talks about culture. Now he brings it to creation, how you were created, and how men and women were created. And how their Paul commands 
that a woman should remain silent and be submissive. Now, first, uh, first Timothy two verses eleven through fourteen can help us at, try to understand what Paul is talking about, uh, because he goes into more explanations in those passages. But Paul says this in 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 First Timothy chapter two verses eleven through fourteen. He says, "Let a woman learn quietly, with all submission." Okay, back in that culture. That culture. Okay, back then. A, a woman may not have been studied as a, as, a, as a husband might have been, okay? There's a lot of reasons for, for, for why Paul's writing this culturally, okay? But he's saying, let, let a woman learn quietly with all submission. And then he goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man because of all these cultural issues that could be, it could be problematic, that could stir up trouble. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay, now we got it culturally, but now, and now we got the, the people that say, well, Manny, these are different times. This is 2022, 20, and women are just a lot smarter than you guys. I mean, I know some women, and this is true. I know some women that can run circles around me, any, anybody I know with their teaching. But that is not the way of worshiping God. And because here's what Paul says. He goes from culture, now he's going to go through creation. He says, for Adam was formed first. What do you do with that? But for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And then Adam became a transgressor. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, God was wrong. He said, you know, okay, I, he shouldn't have made woman from man. What do you do with that? You submit to it. You submit to it. The creator, our creator, created our worship service to be orderly and to be conducted this way. And to be mad and upset at it indicates that we are self-centered and prideful because we all must submit to him, to worshiping him, all of us. Paul sets a balance. He sets that balance out. He balances what's going on with men and women. He, goes, he sets a balance with what's going on with tensions. With Because remember, even women could prophesy, but it all had to be done orderly. They couldn't talk over one another. And sometimes they would only have one or two, and that was it. Or one, a preacher. He eventually became the, pre the, the pastor, the preacher. This, this, is, this is what Paul is talking about when we come to worship. We're, this is, has to be in order. We have an order of worship. If you look at our bulletin and how we go through order, the order of worship, and how God cre uh, got conducted, how God ordered it to be. So here's a big question. Here's a question for you when we look at our passage. Why should you care about the proper way to worship? Why should you care? Why should you care? Well, I mean, God commands it. It's in God's word. That's pretty important. That's pretty important. 
and and it's certainly a reason, the big reason to care, because God commands it. But not only that, our life, your life, is in chaos. So if your life is in chaos and disarray and confusion, and God is saying, I want you to worship this way, what are you going to do? Mr. Manny Alanese, who's in total chaos, his life is in chaos, what, are you going to question this? Or are you going to submit to what God is saying to us? God. God is a loving God. And to submit to him, and not just a worship service, but especially during a worship service, it, 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 it is, it's what it's about when we submit to him, to when we give our lives to him, when we live for his glory. Jesus is called out to us. Our shalom, Jesus Christ, calls out and makes an invitation to us to come to him, to come to shalom, to come to his peace. He tells us in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Because of shalom, because of peace, his peace. That's what we're doing here. We, we are worshiping God, and we are all in submission of God. And, and if we try to bring the world into this and try to make sense of our worship service, it's going to throw it into chaos, and God forbid, God forbid that. Then our focus is no longer on Christ, because our primary concentrated focus during Christian worship service must be on Jesus Christ. Any deviation, any deviation from that will throw us into confusion and disorder. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we do stop. But thank you for your love. Thank you for your peace, your shalom, which has saved us. Lord, God. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org. Or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.